Draw near, hold tight, take care. Say that to somebody beside you. Encourage Draw near, hold tight, take care. And you know what? That's our scripture for the year that God has put in my heart. I thought I would be getting the scripture after this week of prayer with other pastors, and I wasn't sure with everything going on. And uh, interesting enough, before I even got to the week of prayer, God gave me this week the scripture, and so I'm able to preach upon it. And uh, I thought it was going to be a faith promise Sunday, and I was going to be preaching about missions. And the Lord gave me a different direction. Because this is our verse for, verses for the year. It's actually, uh, in particular, verses 23 to 25. And I put that up this morning on the messenger group. We'll make, we'll make little magnets or bookmarks or whatever we do to need to put that before you throughout this year. That the challenge that God has for us as a church. And uh, draw near, hold tight, and take care. Do you know, it's interesting enough, in times like these, we hear so many people say that. You know, the COVID-19 pandemic, endemic coming out of that, conversations about climate change, all the way everywhere we turn around, the dire housing situation, our health care in a mess, and the tanking economy. Oh joy, Pastor, I came to hear that this morning. And more and more natural or human-induced catastrophes warn us the day is approaching. Right? All these are the beginning of the birth pains that Jesus talked about in Matthew 24. The birth pains that we must endure. But I love what somebody put here. In times like these, the church has a plan. Amen. God has always had a plan. He doesn't leave us in the midst of difficult days, or if we are in the days of birth pains. And so God has directed me to this passage, and you heard Pastor Mike read it. We backed up a bit in verse 19 to kind of give you the context. It's so important, my friends, that uh, we read Scripture within context. Because you can take Scripture out of context and almost make it say anything you want it to say. So it's, if there's a therefore, what is it there for? You need to read in around that Scripture and have it in the context. And so we're, we're doing very much what we do in the new year. Uh, in this, and the, and the writer to the Hebrews is doing the same. We're, we're looking back. We're looking back for a moment in order to look forward. We're, we're looking over our shoulder. And so the writer of the Hebrews is saying, since we have. So what, what is he talking about there? That's, that's why we need to back up to verse 19. Because he says, you know, we need to look over our shoulder and look at everything that Jesus has done. He's saying we need to discuss. We've been discussing this in the previous 10 chapters, what God has been doing. And so he says we should have confidence to face God because we have a great high priest in our faith. And so he's trying to tell these Jewish Christians in this book of Hebrews that Jesus is the better way. Jesus is the better way. And so if Jesus is the better way, he has bought us free access now to God. We have free access. And so these are, these are early Jewish Christians. And so they're very familiar with the temple, right? And many Jewish Christians continued to go to the temple and worship at the temple. 
That was a part of their DNA. It was a part of who they were. And so in the midst of that, he's saying you now can come through a better way through Jesus Christ. And you can now have a personal relationship with the Father. And notice up to that point, Jews would not even mention the name of Jesus. If you look at Jewish writing, they wouldn't even put the vowels in of Yahweh. Because God's name was so holy, you couldn't even say his name. Jesus comes along and his disciples say, uh, Lord, teach us how to pray. And the first thing Jesus says out of his mouth, which would have been scandalous in his day, was our Father who worked in heaven. And, and so at this point, there is this idea of a temple set up. And in that temple set up, all the courts, you got to that place where it was the Holy of Holies. And in that holy of holies, it was so holy, it was where the presence of God was. Back in the Old Testament, you hear about the tabernacle, and they knew the presence of God was there because there would be fire at night and the pillar of cloud during the day. And so in the temple now that's built, there's the presence of God in that holy, holy place. And so in that place, there was a thick veil place. Because God was there and he was holy and man was sinful. And man could not enter into the presence of God because of his sin. And so in that moment there you realize that it was such a holy place that the high priest would enter only once a year on the day of atonement into that place where the ark was placed in the presence of God. And he went in with much fear and trembling and he did a lot of washing and a lot of prayer before he went in as the people's representative. And by the way, they would tie a string to his ankle so if he dropped dead in the presence of God they could at least pull out his body and bury him. So much fear before a holy God. This thick veil separated the most holy place. But praise God, through Jesus Christ, that veil has been torn in two. The writers of Hebrews reminds us that that veil was torn in two, and now there is open access to God, and all can come in freely before the presence of a holy God. Because we come in through Christ and Christ's sacrifice. But there's something more that he says, the writer of Hebrews. That when you looked at Jesus, he is our kingly high priest who mediates for us once and for all. And he doesn't take the blood of oxen or, or, or any other animal and sprinkle it. He took his own blood. You have a high priest, a kingly high priest, who paid the price. For you. With his own blood. And as he did that, his body was placed on the cross. And his body was torn and ripped. We think about the lashing of his back. What he went through. And so his body now becomes the veil. And his body is torn in two. Because through Christ now, you can come boldly to the Father. You can have a relationship with God. You can come and bring any request or concern or need to the Father because of what Christ has done. 
This is what he is trying to bring up to these people before we even get to the verses that we're looking at today. I like what John Wesley said, veiled in flesh the Godhead see. Charles Wesley wrote the hymn. And as Christ's flesh was torn on the cross, he made access to the Father. God is no longer our judge. God is now a loving Father who beckons us into his presence, who allows us to come into his loving embrace. We were created by God to know him and love him and be with him. That's what eternity is about. And at that now, we can be in his holy presence today to now. Jesus is your Savior, then we can come into God. We can come into our Father's holy presence in prayer with confidence at any time and ask for anything. Now, as any good Father, He might not give it to us. <laughs> but we have open and free access. And so the writer reminds us, based on this, based on all this truth, about our spiritual position in Christ, and that this is indeed the better way, and as the day is approaching, what should be our response? How should we respond as believers in Christ? This is for the church, my friends. This is not for those outside the church. This is for the church. How should we respond? And so there's some commands here that he gives to us as believers. I like what N.T. Wright said on this passage. He says, it's like you're invited to a party. It's like God has done everything and prepared everything, and he's inviting you. Well, there's, I think we've heard that in Scripture a few times. That, that when somebody comes to faith, what are the angels doing? Rejoicing in heaven, Rejoicing in heaven and having a party. I, I think in some ways, if you've never seen your faith as something like a party, then you've missed it. That's what we're supposed to be doing on Sundays. That's what we're inviting you to come to a party. Oh, it won't be anything like a party you've ever experienced before. And it won't be like the parties of this world. But my friends, there is joy unspeakable and full of glory. And as Arnold got at 97, the late going, there's a party. Hallelujah. Doesn't matter what age you are. And so since all of this, you've been invited to the party. As N.T. Wright says. And so if you've been invited to the party, then you should what? Draw near. Draw near to God. Press in. Press in close to God. Let us draw near to God, it says in verse 22. How do we draw near to God? With a true heart, the writer says. Full assurance of faith. See, John 4.21 says, True worshipers will worship the Father in spirit, and in truth, we didn't have that conversation before. God led Pastor Mike to that scripture. Sincere. Honest. Father knows everything anyway. We talked about that. And, and then we're supposed to come with hearts sprinkled clean. From an evil conscience. And I get that vision of the high priest taking that branch of hyssop. And dipping it in the blood, and then after a day sprinkling it upon the people. Because it cleansed them for another year. They were, they were cleansed. And then they were to go back out from that place of cleansing. And, and so there is this vision that God wants to pour the blood of Christ over my conscience. I don't know about you, but the enemy will give me sometimes sleepless nights trying to remember and remind me of my past. 
the sins that I've committed, the ways that I've let God down. Praise God, I hear when that happens and I take my power over my mind again and I say, but it's all under the blood. Get away from me. Get behind me, Satan. That past has been paid for and washed and cleared. And so if you have problems with a troubled mind, allow the Holy Spirit to cleanse your conscience. That God wants to sprinkle you and purify you with the blood of Christ. And then he says, our bodies are washed with pure water. And, and so you get this vision of, of Old Testament washing and purification. We're pure before the Lord. You, you know that whole dialogue that Peter had with Jesus about the foot washing. And Jesus says, but Peter, you're already clean. If you've come to Christ, you are washed by the blood of the Lamb. You had that washing that has happened. And praise God, it's not just that ceremonial washing, but it is those who have said, yes, I am a believer in Jesus Christ and I'm being obedient to Him and I'm going under the waters of baptism that I might die with Him and now I come to life in Christ. And I'm going to challenge you. We're going to be talking about that later on. If you've not been baptized, why not? If you believe in Jesus Christ, why have you not been obedient to what He has commanded and gone under the waters of baptism and nailed your colors to the mast so your family and everyone around knows what Christ has done in your life. That's that washing. That washing. Baptism symbolizes that washing. It doesn't do the washing, hear me right. Jesus and his blood washes us. But baptism now becomes the sign of the new covenant of God doing that washing. And so... He's basically saying to us today, what is stopping you from drawing near to God? 2024 is a time to step forward, to draw closer to God. It's a time to be still. It's a time to sit at His feet and to listen to Him. It's time to enter into the Holy of Holies, into that presence of God. And as children of God, we should not be restless, fretful, anxious, or fearful. Because God has made a way for us to draw into his presence. James told us what? Draw near to God. And God will draw near to you. See that's, that's the pivot. You need to make a decision. All of this has been put there for you. And you have to make the decision. Yes Lord I'm stepping forward. Into this year. But I'm also stepping forward. Into what you have for me. I'm drawing Near. I'm pressing in. And then he says, okay, well then you need to hold tight. <laughs> you need to hold tight. And Lord, I don't know why you're telling us that. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. Holding tight speaks of keeping a tight grip. What are we to keep a tight grip of? Well, the teachings of the church, the creeds, our beliefs, we're living in a day when beliefs are all over the place. Like every wind of teaching, James says. Every wave is up and down and around and all over the place. We as the people of God, we hold tight to what we believe. You know, I thought today as I was praying and going over my message, where would we be today if the church hadn't held tight 
to the police. Where would we be today if we didn't have grandparents and parents and aunties and uncles and Sunday school teachers who taught us, youth workers, who taught us the truth of the faith? What hope is there for generations to come if we don't hold tight to what we believe? You see, my friends, this is so important for us to hold tight to those beliefs that have been passed on from generation to generation that the early church lost their lives over as they nailed down those creeds of this is what we believe, this is orthodoxy, this is our foundation. And we are called now to know them and to understand them and to believe them and to share them. That is what our responsibility is because somebody did that for me. It's talking about white knuckles, right? White knuckling, holding tight, taking it serious. The world's circumstances and people in my life have sought to disrupt my hope. What about you? But God has been abundantly faithful to me. And he has never disappointed me yet, and he never will. And so my hope is in him. And he has, and has never been displaced. So we all need to hold tight. And you know the word that's, that comes to me when I think about that? Compromising. Oh, the compromises that will sneak in. The excuses we will begin to make. You see, the book of Hebrews was written to encourage these early Jewish Christians to press on in their newfound faith and freedom in Christ because he was the better way. And so the Jewish friends were trying to persuade them that they, they needed to turn back to Judaism. And, and Jewish Christians endured intense, intense persecution. And they were ostracized by society. And they were thrown into prisons. And they were fed to lions by the Romans. But we learn from church history that the early Christians endured to the end. How did they do that? Because they held tight to God. He will hold me fast. That's where our faith and hope is. And we're not being persecuted like the early Christians. But in the midst of uncertain times when possibly our health and our wealth might uh, face a severe hit or uh, when we hear about famines and earthquakes, when we hear about the wars and rumors of war, our faith in God must not waver. He will not leave us nor forsake us and we must stand firm, church. 2024 is a year to stand firm. Deuteronomy 31, 6, we are told, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you, and he will never leave you, nor forsake you. And so we draw near, we hold tight, and we take care. We take care of one another. You know, I'm hearing a lot today about self-care. self-care, And there is a place for self-care. But my friends, there's also a place to take care of one another. Self-care should never be all my emphasis that I forget to take care of others. Now, if I'm only taking care of others, yes, there needs to be those times for self-care. 
Verse 24, and let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Now, anyone who has horses knows what a spur is. Remember what a spur is? At times, a lot of people find it very inhumane, right? That they don't want to really use it that. And, and I think, I think the, the writer is trying to show us, we're not, I don't think he's talking about a horse's spur, but we kind of get the, the, the vision there. It, the original word says stir up. Stir up, provoke. I like the word poke. <laughs> poke. I remember hearing about the church in India. You know they have pokers in the church in India? And you're like, Pastor, what's that? Well, in the church in India, often they sit on the floor, and the church can be so full, praise God, so full and so tight and so hot that people do what? They would never do that in church. They fall asleep. And so the church literally has pokers. They got a long stick. They have a long stick, so we, yeah, I'm going to call on a few people to become our church pokers. <laughs> When you fall asleep, guess what they do? Wake up! Wake up! Well, they couldn't tell the difference between sleep and death. Yeah. Yeah. They poked. And now some of you would say, Pastor, I can recall recall times when I was provoked in the church. But that's not the kind of provoking that the writer of Hebrews is asking for. We're not talking about provoking people negatively. Some of us could tell you stories that we were provoked in the church. No, he's saying why aren't you doing the good things to provoke people to want and want more of Jesus? That's our role as a church to encourage one another, to spur each other on as iron sharpens iron. I want you to be the best at all that Christ has for you. And you want the best for me. I hope you want a good servant. A better servant. A pastor who's more like Jesus. And so we're supposed to be spurring each other on. And what do we spur each other on to negativity? No, we provoke one another to love. We provoke one another to love more. And when I love you more, chances are you want to love me more. And then we provoke one another on to what? Good deeds. Now, we don't get saved by works. We don't get saved by good deeds. But this idea that I'm just under grace I know Jesus loves me and I love him and hallelujah, I'm waiting until he comes. You've missed it. Because he's coming, there's people who need to hear about Jesus. There are people who need to be fed and people who need to be prayed for and people who need to be cared and people who need to hear who have never heard. There's works. There's what we called, and we preached about it before, responsible grace. We now have received this grace. We are responsible to share it with others and to do good deeds. And so we're supposed to be encouraging one another, maybe some healthy competition. I know there's lots of competition in the church sometimes about games and who's going to win and all kinds of stuff. I won't go there with rope and crokinole and all those things. Right? Yeah, maybe we need to have a little bit of healthy competition provoking each other on on good deeds and love. Wouldn't that be something? That's what he's saying here. 
We want to spur one another. We're not called to be consumers. Whoever, for decades, the church in North America have made this mistake. It, it's about this is a church. And because I put money in an offering plate, I pay for certain things, Pastor. I have a certain expectation, church board. Uh, I expect you to do the programs and the things that I like or do things for my family. Consumers. That's not the church of Jesus Christ. The church of Jesus Christ is we put the needs of others above our own. That's what, what being a part of the church because Christ put us above his own needs and he was willing to suffer and die and serve and we have and serve the servant king and therefore if he is our lord and master and was willing to serve then we come to serve as well so we spur one another on towards love and good deeds let us let us what can we do for each other how can we spur one another on that's something to be looking at in this year something to be praying about and then he says encourage your spiritual family let us not give up as some meeting together are in the habit of doing but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching we live for the sake of others he says, he reminds us, and you think, oh, pastor, thanks a lot. I'm speaking to the choir because you're here today. But many say they love Christ today, and they say worship is optional. We've talked about it. There's, there's 40% of evangelical Christians in North America who say, I don't need church. There's a lot of people who will go around and say, well, I love Jesus, but I don't like organized religion. You heard that before? And they're missing the whole point of what it's all about. The thing that God has put in my heart and when I get back in the series we're going to spend some time in and I'm looking at is the bride of Christ. Why church? Why church? What does it mean to be part of the church? Why is even gathering as the church of Jesus Christ important? And let's just say it's not the building we're talking about. It's about the people gathering together. We're not to neglect meeting together. Because how do you encourage somebody if you never see them? Never hear from them? Oh, they drop into church every four weeks, five weeks. It's about we meet together. I want you to speak words of blessing into me. I want to speak life into you. Well, I want to tell you what the Holy Spirit has told me about you and what, what he's doing in your life. And I can see Jesus in you. Isn't it wonderful when somebody comes up to you and says, wow, you know, I was really blessed by when you said that word or when you prayed for me. or when I mean, that is what God wants. God wants us to encourage one another. You know, watch, watching you up playing today blesses me. How do you do that if we don't communicate, if we don't spend time we don't encourage each other. And many people in the church today are what? Discouraged. We can be very, very discouraged. See, Hebrews 10, 32 to 34 tells us that we're informed there later in this passage that the believers were facing severe pressure to turn away from their faith. Some had been thrown into prison. Others had their property taken from them. Others lost their jobs. And these believers were facing a spiritual crisis. 
And from a human perspective, these early believers had a reason. If you're in prison, I guess you can't show up to church. What's our excuse? What's the things that we're compromising on? Barclay said, there is no man who can live the Christian life and neglect the fellowship of the church. And so we're not to forsake the gathering together, the assembling together, spending time together. And praise God, we have now social media that can even help us in times when we can't get together physically, we can share still life together. It's not the same as seeing somebody face to face. It's never to take the place of face-to-face. But in situations where we can't be face-to-face, we've got all kinds of means today to encourage one another, to pray for one another, to spur one another on. There's no excuse. But it needs to be something that's important to us and for us. There was a, uh, an older gentleman many years ago in, in England, and he had said, he had said, you know, Pastor, the, the vicar, I, I don't need to go to church. What do I need to go to church for? And so he decided, the pastor decided to visit. And as they got together in the little cottage and they sat in the living room, he had a roaring fire going. And he went on and on, all the excuses why he didn't attend church. And all the people he didn't like in church. And all the things that were done that he didn't want. And he went on and on. And the pastor, praise God, it wasn't me. <laughs> The wise older pastor, not me, sat there quietly and just took it all in. When the pastor went to leave, he went and got the tongs by the fire and he took out of this roaring fire a log and he put it over there and let it sit and left. Next Sunday, that old gentleman was in church. He got the message. Because ultimately what the pastor was saying to him, if you think you can live the life outside of the fire of God on your own, it's going to fizzle out and die. And so the man realized, I need the church. And the church, here's an important, the church needs me. You've got gifts and graces. You are a blessing. We need you here. You hear that? Say that to somebody. We need you here. Oh, man, you're so convincing. We need to meet together, to pray together, and to encourage one another because we can get so discouraged. These, these days, these winter days are dark days. I hate the dark nights. I'm there and I'll think, oh, it's midnight and it's 7 o'clock. It's difficult this time of year. Some people are facing marital conflicts. Others have heartaches over rebellious and spiritually lost children. Some face demotion at work or lost their jobs or are going through financial difficulty. Others are having struggles with health problems. Many are wondering, does God care? Does anyone care? We need to encourage one another. God, who would you want me to encourage today? That should be a question when we wake up in the morning. Who needs a word from you? Who needs my care and concern? Who needs me to pray with them or share scripture with them or verbally affirm them? Who needs me to be an example to them? We are called to encourage one another. And so, knowing... He says, knowing why? Because 
as we see the day approaching. As we see the day approaching, as we go around talking that the Lord is coming, you better get ready. The day approaching, if the day is really approaching, my friends, then every prayer meeting should be full and the church should be full because we're so busy telling people how much they need Jesus. You cannot go around teaching and talking as the church of Jesus Christ and say, see, the day's approaching. And then we're totally indifferent to people and their needs and their concerns. Because if Christ is coming, may he find me on my knees. May he find me inviting people and telling people about Jesus. I had a great uncle in the Church of the, of the Salvation Army, and he was known as a man of prayer. It was my grandmother's brother, half-brother. And, you know, it was interesting because I never got to meet him, but I was told as a child, guess where he passed? He passed in the corner of his living room, down on his knees in his chair, praying, praying for his family, praying for Cornerbrook, Newfoundland, praying for his core, praying. That's how he was found, praying on his knees. If it is the last days, my friends, we've got work to do. We've got work to do for the kingdom. And so he's telling these people in the book of Hebrews, the readers that of this first letter, that as they see the day approaching, then they are to draw near, hold tight, and take care. And so may we do so in 2024. May we be found to be people of prayer and great encouragement and great strength. And may we live our lives faithfully for our Savior, Jesus Christ. Then our hearts will overflow with God's love. And we can go and tell other people and encourage believers and tell people that they need to draw near to Christ. God is wanting to do something new and fresh if he can find the people who are willing to be a part of it. I believe that with every ounce of my being. Amen. But he will look for that group that are willing to be a part of it. But that's the worship team to come. It was on January 1st. I don't know where I put it. There it is. It was on January 1st in 1738 that John and Charles Wesley gathered with friends. Now, hear me right. They had been doing this now for years. John Wesley and his group of friends, John and Charles Wesley, that became the founders of Methodism, but this is long before it became a movement. These young people, by the way, not older people, but young people, these young people started to live a Christian life that was different than the Christian lives of those around them. And they began to hold each other accountable. And they had their weekly meetings where they would say to each other, how's your soul this week? Class meetings. How's your soul? And when the person would say, did you, and they would ask each other, did you sin this week? And when the person said, no, I didn't sin this week, they would say, are you lying? Because you just sinned. <laughs> but that's the kind of seriousness they had for the things of God. And so they did this thing that they started to do at the, at the beginning of their year. It was actually done on the evening, often on the 31st. But on January 1st, in 1738, they met. And they gathered at Fetter Lane, London, to pray in the new year. And England was undoubtedly a spiritual wilderness with less... Now listen, this sounds so familiar to our day. Less than 
population attending church. Alcoholism was an endemic. The slave trade was in full bloom, and just five Christians in Parliament, in British Parliament in those days. But at 3 o'clock in the morning, God did a new thing in this wilderness. Suddenly the Holy Spirit fell so powerfully that John Wesley reported in his journal. Many cried out for exceeding joy, and many fell to the ground. And this moment, just a moment, just a spark, this moment sparked a movement which ignited the greatest awakening that England had ever experienced. Repopulating and filling the churches, creating the Methodist movement, and ended slavery. Did you hear that? It wasn't just in the church. It went all the way up to Parliament, and it ended slavery in the British Empire, and launched free education for the poor. And he writes it this way, the party is all prepared. Invitations have gone out. Silver is polished, and the host stands at the door, waiting at the door. He says, are you ready to accept? Are you going to be the one who is a no show? My friends, I leave that with you this Sunday. I have preached the word of God to the best of my ability. And now I ask you, on this year, as you enter in, are you willing to be one who will draw near who will hold tight and take care of one another. I believe that's what God is calling us to. Let's stand and pray and we'll close the service. Father, I believe everyone who is here today and even those listening online are not here by coincidence. They are here by divine appointment. Your spirit has drawn them into church today to hear this word. And it is not my word, but it is your word. It comes right from the word of God. That you are challenging us as a church. Press in, draw near. You are telling us to hold tight to that which we know. And that our hope and our faith to not be wavered. Not beyond sinking sand. And you're telling us to put the needs of others above our own and begin to care for one another. The world around us is hurting. The world around us are longing to be part of a community, a community of encouragement and love and care. And we, as the Church of Jesus Christ, are the alternative community to what's going around us in our world. Help us, Lord, to move into that encouraging one another, spurring one another on, that others can come in and be a part of your kingdom. Thank you, Jesus, that the veil is torn in two. Thank you, Jesus, as I come to the end of this service, that there is nothing preventing anyone who wants to enter in and have conversation with you today. We thank you, Lord, for that. In Jesus' name, amen.